A sermon, stoning, and the scattering. Grab your Bible and let's talk. Welcome to the Bible, Glitter, and Glue podcast, where Bible study and thought-provoking conversation lead to creative teaching. Now, here are your hosts, David and Mary Nelson. Welcome to the Bible, Glitter, and Glue podcast. I'm Mary, and this is David, and here we are opening the scripture again. We're in the book of Acts today. We're talking about some of the first events in the life of the early church. David, here we are in Acts chapter 6. Yes, we are. We're going to be talking about the story of the stoning of Stephen, which goes from Acts chapter 6, verse 8, through chapter 8, verse 4. So it's a long story. It's too long for us to read. So, Mary, the best way we can start is if you can just outline this for us. Okay, well, that will help break it up, because this is a very long passage. This is a pivotal event in the life of the early church, so I do think we should be listening to this one. First, the event is set up in Acts chapter 6, verses 8 through 15. Stephen is arrested. The man Stephen is arrested. Then we get into a very long sermon. Acts chapter 7, verses 1 through 53. All of that is devoted to what Stephen says in answer to being arrested. So it's a very long sermon by Stephen. And then... Oh, I kind of hate to give it away here, but in Acts chapter 7, verses 54 through 8, chapter 1, we have the consequence of that sermon. Stephen is killed. And then in Acts chapter 8, verses 2 through 4, we find the results of all of this. What happens to the early church? We see them suffering, being persecuted, and then scattering. All right. I think what we can do, Mary, we can actually read the first part, chapter 6, verse 8 through 15, and that will kind of give us an introduction to this long sermon by Stephen in in the aftermath of that. Yeah, so we're just setting things up. Shall I start first? Sure. Okay. Starting in chapter 6, verse 8. Stephen was richly blessed by God. God gave him the power to do great miracles and signs among the people. But some Jews were against him. They belonged to a synagogue of free men, as it was called. This synagogue was also for Jews from Cyrene and from Alexandria. Jews from Cilicia and Asia were also with them. They all came and argued with Stephen. But the Spirit was helping him to speak with wisdom. His words were so strong that they could not argue with him. So they paid some men to say, We heard him say things against Moses and against God. This upset the people, the Jewish elders, and the teachers of the law. They came to Stephen, grabbed him, and brought him to a meeting of the Jewish leaders, They brought in some men to tell lies about Stephen. They said, This man is always saying things against this holy place and the law of Moses. We heard him say that Jesus from Nazareth will destroy this place. He also said that Jesus will change the things that Moses told us to do. 
and all the people in the meeting were watching Stephen closely, his face looked like the face of an angel. Wow, the face of an angel. This was a good man. In fact, we learned in the chapter before this about how Stephen was one of those first seven men that were chosen to help feed widows. He was a man full of the Spirit. He was a really good man. And yet when you read what these few Jewish people were doing to him, you would have thought he was a criminal. He's not, is he? I mean, full of the Spirit and full of wisdom. And here it says he's also full of grace and full of power. He's full of a lot of good things that God has given him. But the things that Stephen was saying and the powerful way he was saying those things felt dangerous to these Jews. Now, a lot of Jews had believed in Jesus. They formed the beginning of the early church. There were thousands of them, in fact, that had accepted Jesus. But then there were some that were very much against everything that they were hearing. There's always the some, isn't there? So true. And those that were against him, it says they belonged to a synagogue of free men, as it was called. That's in verse 9. This synagogue was also from Jews from Cyrene and from Alexandria and from Cilician Asia. First of all, synagogue is a Jewish meeting place. It was a place of worship where they came together every week, every Saturday to read scripture and to pray. It was more than just a place of worship. It was also a meeting place. It was like a community center. It was where they conducted the business of of the local community. So it was very important place to be. So it wasn't the temple. It was the synagogue. And it sounds like they, David, when I'm reading this, so this, the people in this synagogue were connected around different places. Well, the people that belonged to the synagogue, it's, it was called the synagogue of free men. It's just commonly assumed that it was made up of former slaves. And so that had been freed, that had been given their freedom. And it's not unusual for slaves to purchase their freedom. And also after years of service, a master could give their slave freedom. And that happened quite often. This synagogue was evidently made up, at least originally, of men who had formerly been slaves. But they were very offended by what Stephen had been preaching. And they really couldn't argue with him. Because what he was saying was true, it was wise, it was powerful, and that was because he was full of the Spirit. But the only way to go against Stephen and to attempt to stop him is they had to pay people to tell lies about Stephen. Yeah, they had launched a smear campaign against Stephen about what he was saying or what he wasn't saying. We get an insight to what Stephen is thinking, because chapter 7, Stephen lays it out for us, what he was preaching It's a very strong sermon. He really points the finger at the end. And like I said, we don't have time to read the sermon. But in the sermon, he charges the religious leaders and the people that they have always resisted God by rejecting the people that God sent to them, beginning from Moses through the prophets all the way to Jesus. So all these people that God sent to them to guide them, to teach them, they consistently reject, and that's one of the themes in this long sermon of Stephen. So that's really interesting how these liars, these hired people, false witnesses, 
they were saying these things and kind of twisting everything they'd heard, trying to make Stephen look bad. But Stephen actually turns that back around. They were saying he was speaking against the law and he was speaking against the holy place. But Stephen, he's brilliant in his sermon and how he goes back into Jewish history and talks about how, well, God has always had the law. God has always had holy places. But You guys, the Jews, have rejected this over and over and over. This long sermon is not technically a gospel sermon like we read in chapter 2 and chapter 3. This sermon is his response to all these charges that were against him. It's not technically a gospel sermon like we read in chapter 2 and chapter 3 of Acts. This sermon is really an indictment against the Jewish leaders for rejecting, always rejecting God. Well, in fact, I find it interesting how he brings it home. He's pivoting in his sermon, even in verse 48, when he starts outlined the holy places, the temple, the tent of meeting, even before that. He's talking about, but he says, but the Most High does not live in houses that men build with their hands. Wait a minute. Something's changing here. He's talking about God. He's alluding to the temple, but he's saying God doesn't live there. God doesn't need houses or places. And so I'm sure their ears were up because, wait a minute, is this where he's going to start talking bad about the law and about the temple? But no, he brings it back to them. He personalizes in verses 51 through 53. He uses the word you so often. You stubborn Jewish leaders, you have not given your hearts to God. You won't listen to him. You are always against what the Holy Spirit is trying to tell you. He over and over, you, 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 he's saying, you are the problem here. You know, I'm glad you brought that up. They were accusing him of blasphemy in some way. And actually, he's telling them they're the true blasphemers. Because you mentioned that you know, God does not live in something made with human hands, a, a place. Through the sermon, one of the things he charges their ancestors with is idolatry, all the way from the golden calf incident when Moses came down from the mount with the Ten Commandments. They were worshiping golden calf. Throughout their history, they worship the sun and the stars. And he says, and I think you mentioned it, Mary, that this temple was built with human hands. And that's what he said earlier about the golden calf. He uses that phrase, made with human hands. So I think Stephen is suddenly, maybe not so suddenly, saying that they've turned the temple into an idol. It's functioning as an idol. That's why Stephen says, you are guilty of all of these things. And another thing I think important to note related to this about God not really literally dwelling in a something that men has made. All through this sermon, he points out the fact that God was active and working outside the whole Holy Land, the land of Israel, outside this place. He begins by referring to Abraham that he was living in Mesopotamia when God called him. Moses was in Sinai when God called him. Joseph was in Egypt when God used him to rescue his people. So God was everywhere, and he's not limited to one place. The Jewish people who have put Stephen on trial are themselves guilty of limiting God, of 
turning God into an idol in a sense. What he was saying was not making him a popular preacher in any sense of the word. He was stirring up these people that were already so angry. He did not fix this problem in a way that was satisfying this group. And I think we should read the next verses because after the sermon, we find out the results of this sermon. So, David, what if you read those next verses? Chapter 7, verses 54, maybe through 8, verse 1, because that really spells out what happened next. Okay, sure. Chapter 7, beginning in verse 54. When the leaders heard Stephen saying all these things, they became angry. They were so mad that they were grinding their teeth at Stephen. But Stephen was full of the Holy Spirit. He looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God. He saw Jesus standing at God's right hand. He said, look, I see heaven open, and I see the Son of Man standing at God's right side. (laughs) Then they all shouted loudly. They covered their ears with their hands and all ran at Stephen. They took him out of the city and threw stones at him until he was dead. The men who told lies against Stephen left their coats with a young man named Saul. While they were throwing stones, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. He fell on his knees and cried in a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. After Stephen said this, he died. Saul agreed that the killing of Stephen was a good thing. Well, there's a lot to unpack here, isn't there? Yeah. First of all, this is such a violent reaction. They were so angry that the language here, grinding their teeth, they were running at him. They were so angry. And this ends in his death. That's how angry they were. Stoning someone was a very old practice, wasn't that? went back to the Old Testament, didn't it? Yeah, you were stoned for blasphemy, and that's kind of where they're at with Stephen. They didn't want to hear what he had to say. This was a fit of rage, and people act irrationally when they're enraged. They were so angry because they heard Stephen saying, in their minds, all these negative things about God and all of this. And so they just reacted in anger. Blasphemy is speaking against something that is holy and sacred and off limits, such as God or the temple. It's dishonoring God is what it ultimately is, is blasphemy. It's to speak against God. So stoning someone for blasphemy was a practice in the Old Testament. They're Accuse him of blasphemy, and they're throwing stones at him until he dies. That's a horrible death. It is a horrible death. I can't imagine that. And I, I can't imagine holding those stones and throwing those stones. It, it, it is very violent. And it's interesting, too, we meet another character. It's almost like Luke just throws that in to his writing because... Saul is going to feature a lot in the rest of the book of Acts. And until now, we haven't heard of Saul. 
No, and this is one of the reasons why this chapter is a pivotal chapter, because he suddenly introduces Saul. Saul doesn't really have anything to do with the story as such, except he's, well, he's passive and just holding cloaks. But Luke introduces him because he becomes, of course, the major character later on in the book of Acts. And everything changes for the good after he becomes a follower of Jesus. But that's a future story. On the one hand, this is such a violent, ugly, horrible scene with you have these religious leaders losing all decorum and in anger grabbing Stephen, dragging him out, and then stoning him to death. And then you have Stephen's response, and it's one of calmness and full of faith and assurance. The face of an angel. Yeah. Stephen sees the glory of God, and he sees Jesus not sitting on the throne at God's right side. It says he sees Jesus standing at God's right side. You almost get this feeling. You know, Jesus is watching this happening. He's probably proud of Stephen for standing up for what is right, for the truth. It's like, Stephen, you're going through this right now, but I'm here waiting for you. Stephen feels that assurance. I hope I would be able to feel that assurance if I was ever persecuted to this kind of extent. I hope and pray that I would see Jesus and think of Jesus and think of that next step and have that faith that Stephen has. Yeah, and not only just says he sees heaven open as Jesus standing, but his whole response to what's happening to them is just like Jesus. That brings back exactly the words of Jesus, doesn't it? Yes. In verse 60, he says two things that are exact same things Jesus said when he died on the cross. In Luke chapter 23 and verse 34, Jesus says, Father, forgive them. They do not know what they do. And then in Luke 23, verse 46, his last words in the gospel of Luke, Jesus says, into your hands I commit my spirit. And these are the words of Stephen. He says, do not lay this sin against them. And he says, Jesus received my spirit. David, I'm picturing in my mind that Stephen and Jesus share a moment there, look at each other, and knowing that those are those words, those same words. And there he goes into the arms of Jesus. But we said before that this is a pivotal moment. It's important, and just the story on its own, I think, is so important. But I'd like to read the last of our passage today in chapter 8, verses 2 through 4, because this gives a conclusion, and it's the what next after this story. Some religious men buried Stephen. They cried very loudly for him. On that day, people began trying to hurt the church in Jerusalem and make it suffer. Saul was also trying to destroy the church. He went from house to house. He dragged out men and women and put them in jail. All the believers, except the apostles, went to different places in Judea and Samaria. And everywhere the believers were scattered, they told people the good news. Wow, look how God takes this terrible thing, this terrible event, 
And he uses that to propel the church out of Jerusalem. This is where they started, but now they're heading out. Because of this persecution, they're leaving. They're going to other places. And when they do that, they're telling about Jesus. You know, when Jesus tells his apostles in chapter 1 of Acts that you're to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and then to the ends of the earth, now we see that coming about. We're seeing this persecution in the bigger picture, not being a negative thing for the gospel, but a positive thing for the gospel because the message then continues to spread outward as God intends for it to. I think this is such an important story, lesson, event, not just for adults, but also for children. And and I've got some things in mind, but in some ways you look at this and you think, well, this is not a lesson for children. So I have some thoughts, but I'm going to save those for a minute. David, why don't you talk first about what you would do in an adult class? Well, I have a few tips here. Asking questions is a good thing. This is a long story about Stephen and his sermon and the aftermath of that. So there's a lot of good questions you can ask. And I'll include some questions in the show notes, some good questions about this text. But let me just say something about using questions as a teacher. Questions are good things. And there's different kinds of questions. I mean, it's easy to be a lecturer, to lecture in a class, and that's necessary sometimes. But asking good questions to help draw the class out so they can discover the answers from themselves. And don't just limit yourself to asking yes-no questions. Ask questions that get them to probe deeper. Ask open-ended questions where they have to comment and discuss Ask questions that will challenge the class to reflect on the text and then reflect on their life. Ask questions that challenge the class to think a little deeper. Ask probing questions. And that might take some work on your part as a teacher, but just think of the questions that the text generates and that you can word in such a way so that it will probe their thinking and cause them to think a little deeper about the text, about the story. And just remember, you don't have all the answers. Uh, No one has all the answers. If it's possible, get them to respond to each other instead of just back and forth to you. Get them to respond to each other. You'll have a better discussion that way if they respond to one another as well as to you. But make sure you keep the class on track because it's easy to be distracted. And if possible, having visual material and hands-on material will enhance the learning opportunities of the class. Bringing stones to class is a good visual reminder of the story of Stephen's faith, even in this horrible situation, that he was able to maintain his faith and he was able to be like Jesus in asking God to forgive them and for Jesus to receive his spirit in his death. And that stone can be a reminder of that. Mary, sometimes we teachers find it a challenge to know what kind of questions to ask. I mean, there are all kinds of questions. There, are, I suppose there are some bad questions, but there are questions and good questions and better questions, and we want to ask the better questions. Well, I want to introduce another resource that I think many of our listeners will find helpful and useful as they teach adults in a small group or maybe even a larger setting, and that's the Serendipity Bible. You can still purchase this Bible. It's come out many years ago. It uses the NIV translation, but in this Serendipity Bible, and every part of the Bible has been broken down into sections or 
stories, and there are questions related to each section or story. And these questions are divided into three different categories. The first category is entitled Open. And these are simply icebreaker questions just to get things going that in a very general way relate to the text of Scripture that you will be studying. And then there's another category of questions under that entitled Dig. And these are the questions that invite the class to dig into the text. So these questions relate specifically to the text of Scripture to help the class to understand the Scripture at a deeper level. And then the third category of questions is entitled Reflect. And of course, these questions help the class to reflect on what they've been discussing, reflect on the text, and apply that to their life. And this is a very useful resource. Sometimes if our teachers find themselves challenged to know what questions to ask, this is a good resource to have. And Mary, you can purchase this resource on Amazon, and I'll provide the link to Amazon to this particular resource in the show notes. So those are my teaching tips for today, Mary. Oh, that's really good. I'm thinking about children. As I said earlier, this is a tough lesson. Someone dies in this lesson. There's violence. I think part of us, we, you know, we always want to protect children and not rob them of any kind of innocence. But we are also under an obligation to prepare these children for life. And the fact is that if they haven't already, they will face persecution in their life. People will not all love the fact that they're Christians or that they follow Jesus. So I do think it's important to tell the story. Tell about a man who preached the truth, and when people told lies about him and got very angry, it did not stop him from having faith in Jesus. It did not stop him from trying to always tell about Jesus. That's really important. I want to make sure that children understand the definition of the word martyr, it's maybe not a word we use a lot in common language, but a martyr is a, a person who stands up for a belief, in this case a Christian belief, and they are killed because they continue to stand up for that. They die for that belief. And when we read about Stephen, it's the first Christian martyr that we read about, somebody who stood up for the truth. And sadly, we're going to hear about a lot more throughout the book of Acts. Things do turn ugly a lot in the book of Acts. So I want to make sure they understand what that means. There is a really good resource, and I mentioned it before. I want to mention it again, but it's free Bible images. If you go to my website, missionbibleclass.org, and find the story of the stoning of Stephen, I use the pictures, the images from that website I've created a slideshow where you can flip through and see the story of Stephen. And, you know, it doesn't hide from the fact that there are angry people in those illustrations. Stephen is there. There's stones. There's blood. But it's not a overly done. It doesn't go into too graphic. You can tell the truth of this story without it getting too gory and graphic as to give nightmares to children, but I would highly suggest that. And I know it's nice sometimes to have like some sort of way to remember the story, if you want to say a craft or 
something like that. So I would go the same route you did. I think I'd bring stones to Bible class, smooth stones, and we could paint those. We could even write on them, even with a with paint or with a Sharpie marker or something like that. We could just write Stephen, write his name on that stone, or Stephen, Acts 7, just to remember this story and that Stephen stood up for God. You could also even put the scripture, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, 8, he will keep you firm to the end. And that's what he did with Stephen. So those are just some of the things I would do. Okay. Sometimes it takes a lot of bravery to be a teacher, to talk about the hard things sometimes. And that's the kind of teacher I want to be, because I don't want children to go away thinking that this is just an easy, happy, unicorn rainbow existence, this Christian life. Sometimes it actually is very difficult. And sometimes it takes brave people to be Christians. And I want children to know that. I want to know that. And I hope, David, that I would be able to stand firm if I was being persecuted. And I do too, Mary. And Stephen is a great example. May God bless you as you speak into the lives of adults and children. Thank you for listening to the Bible Glitter and Glue podcast. Subscribe now to listen to new weekly episodes and visit missionbibleclass.org for more free resources to help you share God's Word with children.